it, that, ish. Hello, and welcome to the 25th installment of Carson's Sack Podcast, where we talk balls. On this episode, we're going to keep things a little light. We're only going to be talking about football, college football, as always, NFL, as always. We're going to look back at the week that was and preview the upcoming week in both college football and the NFL. Before we get into everything, though, I would like, I guess, to get serious for a second, I know I say it at the start of every episode and at the end of every episode, just thank you for listening, thank you for taking the time to retweet, subscribe, anything like that. I truly do mean thank you because it's sometimes hard for me to put this out every week with school going on or if there's just other stuff I have going on, but doing this podcast is a nice hour break to get away from all that and do all that, and if you listen for... 10 seconds, a minute, 30 minutes, the whole episode. No matter what you do, I greatly appreciate it. Um, Like I said, subscribe, review, all that. Just know that I really do honestly appreciate any support that this podcast gets. It makes it worthwhile for me to keep doing when people come up and talk to me about it or if I see the viewership going up, which it has, or just seeing the amount of people that are willing to get Get in front of as many people as they can with the retweets and the likes on Twitter and stuff like that. So, again, I know I say it every episode, but just before we get into everything, I wanted to really just get serious about this and be thank you. I really, really do appreciate any support that anybody gives me with this podcast. So, obviously, since we're going to move on now to college football, the big game of the weekend was the second-ranked Penn State Nittany Lions going to the sixth-ranked Ohio State Buckeyes, and what a game it was. Ohio State ended up winning the game 39-38, but did not lead at any point in the game until the end, so when it mattered. Now, I would like to point out a couple things. Two out of my three predictions for this game came true. First one was Ohio State's defense would slow down Saquon Barkley, which they did. Granted, I gave him a lot more credit. I said he would get around 85, 87 yards. He got even less than that. I said Marcus Ball was going to have a good, big game. What did he do? He caught the winning touchdown pass from JT Barrett. The only prediction that didn't come true, and I'm going to get into why it didn't come true, a little bit later on in this segment, is because Ohio State did not blow them out by 10-plus points, which I was giving you all, anybody that wanted to bet on the Nittany Lions, but that's fine. In the end, they do get the victory, but like I said, two out of the three predictions I had for this game came out pretty good. So looking at the first prediction where I said Saquon Barkley was going to be shut down, first play of the game has a huge kickoff return for a touchdown. That's a totally different group of players besides Ohio State's defense, so 
yes, you can say, oh, he did that. He affected the game that way. Sure, whatever. If that's going to make you happy and try and justify your cause for him to be considered this great player, and which he is, but he did not have that good of a game against Ohio State. My reasoning for this, on 21 carries, he had 44 yards. Let me say that again. 21 carries for 44 yards. His long of the day was 36. So from 20 carries, he gained eight yards. One more time. 36 was his long. He had 44 total. 21 carries on the day. So between the 20 carries that he had after that 36-yard gain, he got eight more yards. That, that is unprecedented. Yeah, he caught some passes too. Four receptions for 23 yards. He did have a rushing touchdown, but what he Ohio State's front seven shut him down, and it wasn't even close. I saw. I'm pretty confident that Ohio State had nine tackles for losses with him running the ball, which is insane because their offensive line has been good all year, but they haven't faced anybody as good as Ohio State's front seven, and that got shown. Barkley just couldn't get anything going on the ground receiving. So a huge shout-out goes to the defensive coaches, the defensive line coach, and the linebacker coach for Ohio State for getting them ready and hyping them up so much where they shut down probably one of, if the best running back in the country and one of, if not the best player in the country in Saquon Barkley. The next thing you have to look at in this game was how JT Barrett responded to all the criticism and stepped up in the biggest moments. For the game, he was 33 for 39 with three drops from his receivers. So there's that. Also, he threw for 328 yards and four touchdown passes. Three of those passes came in the fourth quarter for touchdowns where they were down by 15. On the ground, he had 17 carries for 95 yards. And then in the first fourth quarter, excuse me, the fourth quarter, when the pressure was on, what did the kid do? What did the man do? Because JT Barrett is a full-grown man. He was 13 for 13 for 170 yards and three touchdowns. JT Barrett is probably one of the most controversial players, if not the most controversial player in Ohio State's history, just because... He has so many doubts and so many naysayers, even after he does have good performances and big games like this. I think this just truly cements his legacy as the one of the best quarterbacks and players that Ohio State has ever seen throughout its football history. Yes, J.T. Barrett played well, but you also have to look at the receivers that helped him out so much. K.J. Hill had 12 receptions for 102 yards. Then Austin Mack. Barrett played out of his mind, but you also have to look at the guys that were catching the ball. K.J. Hill, 12 receptions, 102 yards. Austin Mack, 6 catches and 90 yards. And then, like I said, Johnny Dixon, only 3 receptions, but 2 of those were 2 fourth quarter clutch touchdowns late in the game. And then Ball, the winning touchdown. If these guys can keep progressing and J.T. Barrett can keep finding the open men and having time to survey the field because of how well the offensive line is playing and then the running game keeps being established, it is going to be hard to beat these Buckeyes with their defense as well. I can't speak how highly this should show that Ohio State 
they're a young team. They really are. JT Barrett, yes, he's the seasoned veteran leader at quarterback, but everywhere else, they are very young. They have a true freshman running back that starts. The receivers are, I don't think anyone that is very that contributes a lot is any more than a sophomore. Yes, redshirt years, they could be more, but they're, they're a young team. And they get down, they were down by 15 into the fourth quarter. They were down by 18, the most in the game. And they were making mistakes. They were beating themselves. They were getting a lot of penalties. Early in the fourth quarter, they fumbled the ball. JT Barrett and Dobbins did on an exchange. It's that, me as an Ohio State fan, that's when I thought, wow, this game's over. This sucks. Our season is going to be a disappointment. And then JT comes on and plays the game the quarter of his life. So. This should speak a lot to how the Buckeyes have progressed since the Indiana game, since the Oklahoma game, that they've matured and how this team is only getting better. And when it is time to step up on the big stage, when their back is against the wall, what do they do? They come out, they win, thanks to JT Barrett and these progressing, maturing skill players on both sides of the ball. In retrospective, though, huge win for Ohio State, but necessarily doesn't guarantee them a spot in the playoff. And again, does it necessarily knock Penn State out of the Big Ten out of the playoff either? It's going to be a lot harder for Penn State to get to the Big Ten championship game, where they have to win out, and they'd have to win that to have any shot of winning the Big Ten, obviously. But then winning that does go a long way in them making the playoff. Ohio State, they went out. They win the Big Ten Championship. It's going to be hard to keep them out of it, too. But it's just a lot to see. Neither team, this doesn't decide their fate on the year. Obviously, it was only one game. But huge game that the Buckeyes do pull out. A gritty, hard-fought 39-38 win. And then the next really big game of the weekend was you had TCU going to Iowa State in Ames, where Iowa State wins this one again, 14-7. to They shut down TCU's offense. And they, like I said last week in the podcast, I think they have this whole scrambling quarterback type thing figured out how to defend it because they stop Kenny Hill in this game and then they, don't want to say stop, but they slow down and force Baker Mayfield into turnovers and making bad decisions when they beat Oklahoma too. Not to be anything against Iowa State, Kyle Kemp, their quarterback, 202 yards, two touchdowns, enough to win, but... TCU's defense was still good. Kenny Hill, only 136 yards and two touchdowns, so that's a little concerning. But Anderson, the running back for TCU, 12 carries, 95 yards. I think if they let him run a little bit more, get him up to 20 touches, this game could have been a little bit different outcome. A lot of people now are sold on Iowa State. It's hard to argue that after they do beat Oklahoma and they do beat TCU. And, I mean, if you look at the remaining schedule, this week they go to West Virginia, and I think they lose that game. And then they have Oklahoma State coming to Ames. I think Oklahoma State wins that. And then they go to Baylor. Yeah, I'll give them that. Baylor sucks. And then they go to Kansas State, and they're always a tough team to beat at Kansas State. So it's just I'm I'm – I'm not sold on the Cyclones yet. I I want to be. I really do. But 
Both those games were at home. They were big environment games. Both of the teams, when they went there, were top four teams. So the fans were up. The players were up. I'm interested to see how they're going to handle games like going to West Virginia when it's away from Ames and they have to go into a tough environment and they have to face a high-powered offense, which they they did in Oklahoma and TCU. I'll give them that. But how are they going to respond if they're down by a Two touchdowns, 10 points on the road to a high-powered offense like that. That's what I'm interested to see before I'm 100% sold on the Cyclones. But like I said, huge win for them beating TCU this last week. If TCU wins out, which they still easily can, they'd have to beat Oklahoma, though. I still think they have a good chance of making the Big 12 championship. And if the Ohio, if not the Ohio State, if the Iowa State team doesn't completely fall apart, which Again, not really sure they're not going to. That'll still be a good loss, and they can maybe back wait, back themselves into the playoff with the four seed if they do end up only losing this game and winning the Big 12 championship. And then moving on, really the only other big game of the weekend was the 14th-ranked North Carolina State. They went to the 9th-ranked Notre Dame Fighting Irish, and the Irish win this one 35-14. Notre Dame dominated North Carolina State on both sides of the ball. Josh Adams is playing so well for Notre Dame at running back. He had 202 yards and a touchdown on 27 carries. So great averages there. And then Wimbush, he was able to complement that enough on the ground with his legs. But he also also added two touchdowns to the air, which has been a big question mark all year. How he'll be able to complement their running game, which is very good through the air with his arm, and if he'll be able to make crucial plays and not make mistakes, which he hasn't so far, except in the Georgia game. But in this game, it showed that he's going to be able to not force anything, take what the defense gives him. He only had 104 yards, but the two touchdowns was enough to help Notre Dame win this game. North Carolina State adds the entire conversation. Notre Dame, they're now, the uh, playoff rankings just came out. They're ranked third in the country. They did beat Michigan State. They did beat USC. They ran down USC. They did beat North Carolina State, and their only loss is to the top-ranked Georgia Bulldogs by a point at Notre Dame. I'm still a little questionable on them. They have a good enough schedule where if they do win out, I do think they find themselves in the college football playoff. It's just going to be necessary for Wimbush to continue to progress and grow as a passer so defenses can't load the box and just sell out on the run. Because if he can, them being able to play action is going to be so good because everyone knows how dangerous Josh Adams is because it's just known throughout college football. Just look at his stats. Look at him. Watch him play in a game. You can see how good of a player he really is. I don't think his stats do him enough justice, honestly. And then Notre Dame's defense doesn't do it enough justice either. Julian Love returned his second interception interception of the season for a touchdown in this game their defense plays good on both sides of the ball their lines are good that's been a thing in the past where since the Alabama game where they lost to them where they beat Notre Dame in the championship questions of how physical and tough Notre Dame teams can be have been a little questionable but this team has shown that they're able to dominate teams on both sides of the ball up front with how the defensive line gets after quarterbacks and shuts people down and how all the offensive line gets to the second level, holds their blocks, dominates, and allows Josh Adams and Wimbush to beat you on the ground. So Notre Dame, 
I'm almost there on you. If you win out, which you easily can, you do have to go to Miami, though, which is going to be a hard game, and I can't wait for that. I imagine college game day will be there, have a little cons versus Catholics throwback. Can't wait for that game. And then they do have to go to Stanford, which I think is another difficult game just because of how that rivalry has gone in the past and how Bryce Love runs. He's fantastic. But, like I said, North Carolina State, out of everything, they're still in the top 25 with these rankings, so that's okay because their only losses are two top 25 teams. But, like I said in this one, Notre Dame gets a big win, 35-14 as a resume booster. Some other games I'm not really going to dive into, but Georgia Tech went to Clemson, and Clemson pulls out a 24-10 win with Kelly Bryant coming back. They have a big matchup with North Carolina State next week. Good to see him be able healthy, execute plays, because they're going to need him and his explosiveness next week as they face a tough, pissed-off North Carolina State team. Then Georgia... Florida game in Jacksonville. Florida dominates this one, 42-7. Spread was 12. Georgia obviously covered that. The run game was there for Georgia all day. Florida has just been falling apart. They part ways with Jim McElwain as well after this game. Not They didn't fire him. They found him on probable cause for lying about death threats. Don't really know why you lie about that, but that's fine. Florida in turmoil right now. They need... They need a total cultural change for that football program to return to prominence. Georgia, like I said, they are now, according to the college football playoff committee, the number one team in the college football standing. So congratulations, Georgia. You got a tough schedule ahead of you, but if you do win that and you do somehow lose the SEC championship game, I still think you're in the playoff, but you might as well, if you're in the SEC championship game, you might as well win it. But good win, Georgia. Way to move on to the next game. Then the last game from this week I'm going to touch on. Oklahoma State went to West Virginia. Oklahoma State won this one 50-39. Mason Rudolph had a big game. Don't count out Oklahoma State. They're 11th in the country in the first college football playoff rankings. They still have big games left to play against Oklahoma. If they win that, they can easily find themselves in the Big 12 championship game. They win that. The only loss was to TCU. TCU is still a good team. They still could win out and make their way there. They Oklahoma State could win and get a revenge there. Just don't sleep on the Cowboys from Oklahoma State. West Virginia now has two losses on the year, but they have a hot Iowa State team coming to them next week, and they could easily upset them in Morgantown. So just keep an eye on that. I think that's going to be a game. But like I said, this past week, Oklahoma State wins, putting up a big 50-39 mark. Now, upcoming this week, there are a huge slate of games with a ton of conference championship game implications and a ton of college football playoff implications. And the first one, you got to look at the in-state rivalry between Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. Oklahoma fifth in the country after the first rankings, and then Oklahoma State 11th in the country after the first rankings. Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, both 7-1 on the year, both good losses so far. Mason Rudolph, 22 touchdowns, 5 interceptions. Baker Mayfield, 23 touchdowns, 3 interceptions on the year. And then 2,866 yards for Rudolph through the air. And then 2,628 for Mayfield through the air. Obviously, prolific passers. Mayfield a little bit more mobile than Rudolph, but what Rudolph makes... He makes up for in speed and elusiveness with arm power that maybe Baker doesn't have as much of. In the past, though, 
of this season. Oklahoma's team has showed they can step up in big games. They went to Ohio State, won by 15 points there, I think. And then Oklahoma State kind of hasn't shown that they can do that because they're really the only big game they've had so far this year was TCU, and they didn't win that one. I like Oklahoma State's supporting cast more than I like Oklahoma's. Oklahoma's defense has proven that they are good and they can be good when they face good opponents. I'm going to reference the Ohio State again, game again. Just because, though, Oklahoma State's team, like I said, I like their supporting cast a little bit more. Hill, their running back, is a lot more... A lot more efficient and a lot more effective than Oklahoma's running back Sermon. <clears throat> if you look at it, <clears throat> excuse me, Sermon for Oklahoma only has three touchdowns and 487 yards. Hill has 836 yards and seven touchdowns. If Oklahoma State can just get Hill going a little bit, just enough to keep Oklahoma honest on defense where they can't load the box and expect just the passing all that, drop back, only rush three. If they make them load the box a little bit, respect the run game a little bit, then I think Oklahoma State makes enough plays on defense and they adopt the bend-don't-break style and they hold Oklahoma in a couple field goals in the red zone and not touchdowns. I had Oklahoma State winning this one in a big rivalry game and a big game in the Big 12 and in the grand scheme of things, a big college football playoff game as well. So like I said, look for Oklahoma State to come out, make a statement, and win this one over Oklahoma. The next game, it's a big SEC matchup. LSU 19th in the country with six wins, two losses. They go two undefeated second-ranked Alabama. And just some things that are a little troubling for you. I'm going to read these stats for you. Jalen Hurts is 95 for 151 completions to attempts. 1,223 yards, nine touchdowns, and an interception. When you hear that, it's he's praised because, oh, he's a good game manager. He doesn't lose games. He makes big plays when he needs to. He got them to back-to-back. Um, he got them to a national championship as a freshman, all this stuff. Well, on the other side of the ball, Etley for LSU, he's 93 for 155. He has 1,452 yards through the air, so more than Hurts. And then he has the same touchdown-interception ratio with nine touchdowns and one interception. And for LSU, the story for them is, oh, can they find good quarterback play? Can they find a playmaker at the quarterback position? So it's a little misleading, and I think it's a little too critical on LSU and a little too gracious for Alabama with Jalen Hurts just because of the reputation that Alabama has and the reputation LSU has for not having good quarterback play and for Alabama just having good game managers. You, if you look at the stats, they're comparable, and it's a little upsetting that both of these teams with same comparable statistics at the quarterback position get labeled completely different just because of their past. I can't wait to also see the running back matchup with Geis for LSU against Harris for Alabama. Harris, 697 yards, but 10 touchdowns on the ground so far. And then Geis, 711 yards and 6 touchdowns. So Harris, a little bit more productive, but I think Geis is going to show up and have a big game. It's it's going to be hard to have a big game against Alabama's defense, but I think he's going to be able to 
score two touchdowns, maybe eclipse 200 yards. Oh, not 200. That's asking way too much. Maybe eclipse 100 yards. But that's all going to depend on how Etlin plays at quarterback and how he can take the pressure off of the running game. So, in the end, I like Alabama to win this one a little comfortably, but expect them to pull away probably around the middle of the third, early fourth, especially at being in T-Town for at Alabama. So, Alabama gets a good win, and Saban is going to have them so pissed off that they weren't the number one team in the country because it's not just good enough for him to make the playoff. He has to be the number one team. He has to be the consensus best team in the country. So I expect them to come out pretty pissed off, but LSU is going to come out fiery, ready to go, ready to because this is a big game, and Orgeron is going to have them hyped up for this. It's one of, if not their biggest game on the schedule, but in the end, Alabama wears them down, outlasts them, and wins this game. The next game, it's a big ACC matchup. You have Virginia Tech, they're 13th in the country, going to Miami, who's 10th in the country. Miami undefeated, Virginia Tech one loss. I got a feeling this is going to be a lot of people's first time seeing Miami play a football game, and they're going to be pretty presently surprised with what is going on down in South Beach with Miami. Rozier, the quarterback for Miami, 17 touchdowns, 4 interceptions, but a guy that is super explosive and you really just can't duplicate what he does for Miami's team, whether it's in the special teams game with punt returns and kickoff returns or if it's with the receiving game because he can be lined up outside in the slot. He's just a Mr. He's a he's a utility player. You can line him up anywhere and he's good. Is Braxton Barrows he has 32 receptions on the year, so not a ton, but 415 yards and six touchdowns. He's a playmaker. He's a Wes Welker, Julian Elman type player with a lot more speed. So just think about that. I don't think Virginia Tech's defense is going to be able to slow him down enough. And then Homer, the running back for Miami, has five touchdowns on the ground and 517 yards. I just think with the combination of them, they're not going to be able to. And then Josh Jackson, the freshman quarterback for Virginia Tech, I think he has a good game, but I think he makes some true freshman quarterback mistakes. And Miami's defense, who nobody really talks about, but is right in the top 25 of total defense on the year. I think they force him to make some true freshman mistakes and they end up falling to the Canes and the Canes finally get a couple people's eyes on them and show, hey, we're for real. We're not just living on the reputation of the past. They win this game and then they have a big game against Notre Dame in two weeks. Hopefully, if the Canes aren't looking too far ahead of that, then they'd be able to handle their business against the Hokies and win this one in a big game with a lot of eyes on them. The next game is another big ACC matchup. Bigger in the grand scheme of the college football playoff scheme, though. You have the fourth-ranked Clemson Tigers with one loss on the year, going to 20th-ranked North Carolina State with two losses on the year. Clemson's only lost a bit of a fluke game against Syracuse, where Kelly Bryant, their good game manager quarterback, a little bit better than that, um, was out. And then North Carolina State, their two losses last week to Notre Dame. And then the first game of the year at South Carolina. At Notre Dame, good loss. At South Carolina, obviously, not a good loss. What I'm interested to see is how Kelly Bryant faces a good defense in North Carolina State coming off of an embarrassing loss where in practice they are probably going to be challenged and told that nobody respects them on defense, that 
Clemson will walk all over them, all this stuff. Their defensive coaches are going to challenge them. It's going to be a hostile environment. I think Kelly Bryant, though, responds well enough. doesn't make too many um, turnovers and freshman mistakes. And Clemson's defense, who is so good, that defensive line, I think they could all play in the NFL. I think they're all going to. Shuts down North Carolina State's offense, which has been inconsistent at times. When it's on, it's on. When it's off, it is totally off. And I think it's just going to be off just because of how well the front line shuts down the run and gets after the quarterback, gets them in third and longs where they can just pin their ears back and just rush their asses off. So Clemson gets a good victory, a quality win at North Carolina State this weekend. A game to keep your eye on is Wisconsin. They're ninth in the country. They're undefeated. They go to Indiana. What I'm interested to see is if Indiana can make a few stops and that high-powered offense can click and not turn the ball over and get quality possessions and score points on probably all, maybe not all is asking a lot, probably on the majority or only have three empty possessions if they can do that I don't know if Wisconsin's offense is high powered enough to keep up with them I don't like Wisconsin's quarterback at all I think he's a very average below average honestly quarterback game manager with Hornybrook I just don't like him at all but like I said it's going to take a lot for Indiana to win this it helps that it's at Indiana but it's going to take um, not a miracle, but probably the best game that Indiana has played all year, which if they can play like they did against Ohio State and just get that defensive production back and mm-hmm. they keep up what they did on offense for that game, just keep an eye on the Indiana-Wisconsin game as a little upset this weekend. And then I'm not going to dive into these. I'm just going to give you picks for these. Penn State going to Michigan State. Penn State wins this one. They're pretty pissed off after last week, and it helps them build a bit more of a resume. Auburn goes to Texas A&M. I think it's a close game, but I think Auburn pulls it out because their defense is just a little bit better than Texas A&M's offense. Then you got South Carolina going to Georgia. Expect this game to be a little bit closer than what people are expecting. Will Muschamp has the Cox playing very well. Their defense is motivated and their quarterback is a little slept on. He makes plays through the ground, through the air and on the ground. He's progressing more and more as the season goes on, but Georgia too much of a ground game and from through the air too much. Georgia wins this one. Then you got Wake Forest going to Notre Dame. Notre Dame should win this one pretty easily as long as they're not thinking too far ahead to two weeks ago, two weeks ahead as they take on Miami then. And then to wrap it up, USC is going to host Arizona. Both these teams, two losses on the year. Expect a high-scoring game, a shootout. In the end, though, I'm going to take USC just because I know more about them than I do Arizona. So that is going to conclude the week that is ahead of us in college football. So now that the college football is taken care of, we now get to look to the NFL. And as always, we're going to start, start, start with the rapid fire recap. (laughs) 
So, I'm going to get to it. Don't worry. Boom! It's going to be coming at you soon. But last week, I did a Halloween-themed, and I was like, hey, you know, that's kind of cool. Maybe I'll continue to do that. So, this week, it's going to be rappers and rap song-themed rapid-fire recap. So, first game. Boom. Christmas came early in Atlanta as Matt Ryan was dropping gifts off in the form of passes left and right, just like the East Atlanta Santa Gucci Maine. Burr! And just like Currency and his Jet Life crew, the New York's Jets were just to eh, and fall to the Falcons 25-20. Next game, boom. On Sunday night, the Steelers sent the Lions back to the other side of 8 Mile as the Lions pulled a cheddar bob and shot themselves in the foot over and over again in the red zone, leaving the Steelers to be just like Wiz Khalifa, high on the AFC North standings as the Steelers win this one 20-15. Next game, boom. The Cowboys had the Redskins and their tribe on a quest to find a W, but at the end, all of them were just like Kid Rock because they wanted to be a cowboy, baby. Easy e woke up quick at about noon. Just thought that he had to be in the end zone soon as he rushed for two tutties and 150 yards. For Jerry Jones, it was like he was Rick Ross because it's just another day in the life of the goddamn balls. Cowboys win this one 33-19 and had all the skins asking Kirk, what's up, cuz? Next game, boom, you should have been calling all your friends and make sure you hit up Mike Jones on the low at 281-330-8004 for this game as Deshaun Watson was sitting sideways and had the Seahawks defense sitting in a daze with four touchdowns, but not to be outdone by the end of the game, Russell Wilson and the Seahawks looked like Jim Jones because they were balling, flying high, no lie, and you know it, as the Hawks win this one 41-38. Next game, boom. The Saints run circles around the Bears, leaving them just like a New Orleans own rapper, a little wheezy. The Chicago Bears are living anything but the good life after this loss and tried to get on an ultralight beam out of town so they could come home again. And just like Kanye West said, switch the style up and if they hate, then let them hate and watch the money pile up as the Saints defense comes up big in this one in the 20-12 win. Next game, boom. As Oakland's own Ice Cube would say, today was a good day. Sadly, the Raiders couldn't say the same as Tyrod, don't think about it too much, too much. Taylor was just that, too much. Marshawn used to be there, so he won't get fined. But the Raiders at 3-5 and five are anything but fine. Once again, Buffalo proves it's all about them dollar dollar bills, y'all. Winning this one, 34-14. Next game, boom. This game was over in London, but things got cold like Minnesota, cold like Minnesota for the Browns as they got the ball and fumbled it, and the Vikings got the ball and flipped it and tumbled it. As both teams are getting back on their little yachties to get back across the pond as the Vikings win this one 33-16. Last game, boom. Carson Wentz could be the new fresh prince of the NFL, and the 49ers got in one blowout, and their moms got scared and said, you're moving in with your auntie and uncle in Bel Lair. But the 49ers, just like Meek Mill says, hold up, wait a minute. Y'all thought we was finished. Get Jimmy Garoppolo in a trade on Monday, but still lose this one, 33-10. And that was the Rapid Fire recap for Week 8 in the NFL. If you like that, please let me know if you have any other suggestions of themes that I could do. Please let me know. I would love to hear ideas. I think I'm going to do movies or something like that in the upcoming weeks or wrestling maybe. But just if you have any ideas, shoot them my way. I would love to hear them. So now we can look ahead to week nine of the NFL season. One of the bigger games is on 
Fox at 1 p.m. You have the Falcons 4-3 going to the Panthers at 5-3. A big NFC South matchup. I like the Falcons in this one. I think the running game is going to wear down the Panthers defense, and I think the Panthers just got rid of one of their best playmakers, trading Kelvin Benjamin to the Bills for a couple of picks. I don't know what you're doing. Christian McCaffrey has been all right, but isn't ready to step up and be the go-to. Devin Funches has progressed throughout the years. He's having his best year so far, but I still don't think he's ready to come up and step up and be the number one. Greg Olson is out. Ed Dixon is stepping in, but doing nowhere near as well as he can. The running situation with Jonathan Stewart is okay, but it has been mediocre. It could be improved. Cam Newton is at an all-time inconsistent rate. I don't really know what the Panthers are doing. I like the Falcons in this one, and I think it's a big statement win. I think they're 4-3 on the year right now, and I think this game is one where they come out, make a statement, and turn their whole year around and show, hey, we're the team in the NFC South that could be a threat and end up winning this thing. The Saints will have something to say about that, but I think the Falcons get a big win this weekend against the Panthers. Another big game is the 425 game on CBS. The Chiefs are going to the Cowboys. Ezekiel Elliott now, apparently, as of right now, when I'm recording this, is suspended. There's so much legal talk. I, I have no idea. I feel like Elle Woods, before she got to Harvard, no idea what any of this means. But if the Cowboys are without Zeke, it's a it's a tough situation. Darren McFadden hasn't played in a game at all this year, but it's been healthy scratches. He's been able to, but they just haven't needed him. Alfred Morris has played. He's been a change of pace back. He'll, he'll be able to contribute some. If Darren McFadden does play, he'll be well-rested. He rushed for over 1,000 yards against um, last year with this offensive line. A player that's not getting a lot of buzz is Rod Smith out of Ohio State. He catches the ball well. He runs hard. He runs downfield well. He's shifty enough where he's not going to just try and run people over all the time. Obviously, things are still a little questionable in the backfield. I think nobody really knows. Not even the Cowboys know what they're going to do yet. I think they're going to go with a ride-the-hot-hand type thing. If McFadden can't get things going, I think they should look to Rod Smith before they look to Alfred Morris as an every-down back. Morris is just a little bit older. Rod Smith, a little bit younger, a little bit less mileage on those legs. Um, it's gonna, Dak Prescott is going to need to step up and make more plays through the air, which I think he's totally capable of. Dez and him have finally gotten their connection worked out. I was a little iffy year one, but this second year with them having practice and the offseason and everything to work on that and game reps, they're developing a good relationship. So for the Cowboys to have sustained continued success for this six games that Zeke isn't going to be there, they just need to figure out the running situation. If they need to do a committee, that's totally fine. So many teams do that. The Cowboys were one of the few teams that only used one running back. But have Dak step up, have a bigger impact in the game through the air, and then have their defense be able to bend and don't break it. Adopt that style of defense, which is totally hard to do, especially against this Chiefs team that comes in 6-2 and two on the year. Alex Smith playing the best he's ever played in his career right now. 15 touchdowns, zero interceptions. He's looking like the MVP. Uh, Kareem Hunt, Rookie of the Year. A huge surprise for the Chiefs and a huge surprise for the NFL. He has great upside, has having a great rookie year. And then Tyreek Hill on the outside and then that defense isn't as scary as it used to be um with certain players out 
like Eric Berry in the secondary, and their front seven isn't as good. Justin Houston is still there playing lights out, but other positions need to step up. Look to D Ford to maybe be one of those guys that could step up, or Poe at the nose guard. He can inf- impact games by shutting down the run. It just hasn't happened yet, but the Chiefs defense always thought of the past couple years as this intimidating shutdown defense. That's not the case so far this year, and I think that the Cowboys figure it out enough where they stop the Chiefs on defense and then they step up on offense, figure out that running situation, and have Dak make enough big plays through the air that the Cowboys win this one in, I guess you could say, a big upset. And then the last real big game is the Monday night game between the Lions and the Packers. It's at Lambeau. Packers off the bye week. I think Mike McCarthy is going to have a game plan for Brett Hundley, the quarterback from UCLA that they drafted a couple years ago that now has to fill in for Aaron Rodgers. If you didn't know that, come out from under your rock. How the hell could you not know that? I think the week off, the bye week for them is going to be crucial, and I think he's going to have a game plan and totally re- define that offense where they can have it built around Hunley's strengths and I think McCarthy was trying to call it a little too much like an Aaron Rodgers quarterback which that's just does those people players like that aren't just walking through the door and you're not having them as backups in the NFL I think like I said this week off helps him not only this week but throughout the season the Lions coming off a hard-fought loss on Sunday night football to the Steelers so back-to-back primetime games who says the Lions aren't that important Golden Tate was shining in that game he came back in two weeks from an AC joint sprain in the shoulder that's not very common normally you're out a month five weeks or so so hyped for him about that in this game though I think the Packers show up I think their defense with that Nitro defense is very good and is enough to slow down Matthew Stafford, Amir Abdullah on the ground, Theo Riddick out of the backfield catching passes, Golden Tate through the air. Marvin Jones had a nice little game, and then TJ Jones out of nowhere had a nice little game for himself too. But I just don't think the Lions are going to have enough, and I think the Packers' defense shows up in this game and makes a big statement and helps Hundley and that offense out as the Packers get a much-needed NFC North win against the Lions on Sunday night. So that's about it for big games. I'm still going to run down and give you some other predictions for other games. The Thursday night game, the Bills go to the Jets. I think the Jets win this one just because it's at the Jets, and they need to win a little bit more than the Bills. The Bills have been very surprising this year at 5-2. and two. I just don't think that they're going to be able to keep that up just yet. Their defense has been a nice surprise. Calvin Benjamin there now, but that has been their big question all year at receiver. I don't know if they are going to play him this week. If they do, he'll probably have some timing problems with Tyrod. They'll probably throw him a lot of jump balls in the red zone, which is very good for me. I'm a fantasy owner. Oh, my God, Carson, we don't care if you own Calvin Benjamin fantasy. No, you don't. You shouldn't. But in this one, Jets over the Bills on Thursday night. And then the next game, another AFC South matchup, the Colts going to the Texans. Deshaun Watson, DeAndre Hopkins, Will Fuller, anybody else on that, Lamar Miller, any other player, Braxton Miller, hell, he might get in in the end zone. Texans are going to dismantle the Colts on Sunday. Texans big over the Colts. And then the Bengals go to the Jaguars. If Andy Dalton can show up and play, 
Bengals have a good chance. The Jaguars D has been phenomenal all year. Leonard Fournette should be back for them this week. I'm going to take the Bengals in this one. A bit of a surprising pick for me. I think A.J. Green has been slowed down a couple of the past weeks. I expect him to have a big game and really just show up. Jalen Ramsey has been chirping a little bit. He's the guy out of Florida State for the Jaguars. I do think, though, A.J. Green says, chill out, youngin. Um, one of the best receivers in the league and has himself quite a day for the Bengals, helping them beat the Jaguars. And then another another NFC South matchup between the Buccaneers and Saints. Saints all year have been a little questionable to me. Their offense is finally starting to click, and their defense has been very good at scoring, not really stopping people, but they do get after the quarterback very well. The Buccaneers have been a disappointment all year. The game's in New Orleans. I'm going to take the Saints in this one, moving them to 6-2 and two on the year, keeping them atop of the NFC South standings. Next game, another interdivisional game. Broncos go to the Eagles. Eagles just traded for Jay Ajay from the Dolphins. Got him a steal. I think they only traded a third or fourth round pick. I'm interested to see how they're going to be able to manage Blunt and Jay. Ooh, boy, I'm getting high already. Talk about fly, Eagles, fly. But um, I'm interested to see, honestly, how they're going to handle those two getting carries. If Ajay can get... 12 to 15, and Blunt gets all the red zone carries. I love that. And then if Carson Wentz continues to play as well as he has, which I don't see any reason for him not to, and the Eagles' defense keeps playing as well as they have, which I don't see any reason for them not to, they're going to be sitting pretty in the NFC, not only the East, but the whole division itself, the whole conference itself. The Broncos, Trevor Simeon, you got to move on. You're not good enough. I'm sorry. You had a nice little year last year, but you got to be able to win games. That defense can't do it all. That defense is so good, and I would hate for them to waste that defense with terrible quarterbacks, which Brock Osweiler, not a franchise quarterback yet, could be. He proved he was serviceable when Peyton Manning went down their Super Bowl year. He was he proved, hey, I can come in and play. Paxton Lynch, still a huge question mark for them as well. I like the Eagles in this one. They got to move on from Simeon and find that guy, whether it's already on the team, if it's in a trade, if they go after Cousins in the offseason because Redskins keep franchising them, if they go after a quarterback in the draft. So many options. John Elway, I don't like you. You'll probably make the wrong decision again because you don't make good decisions like you should have played baseball for the Yankees instead of playing football. Yeah, I said it. John Elway, I don't like you. So for that reason, Eagles are going to beat the Broncos. And then I'm not even really going to give these games much thought. Ravens, Titans, I'm going to take the Ravens to move to 5-4. and four. Cardinals, 49ers, I'm going to take the 49ers just because they got Jimmy G there, even though he might not play. And then the last game, Raiders-Dolphins, I'm going to take the Raiders just because they need the win a little bit more. Don't count them out in the AFC West, and also don't count them out in the AFC Wild Card. More likely to get a Wild Card, not win the West, but don't sleep on them just yet. And that will do it for the 25th installment, 25th episode of Carson Sack Podcast. We are a quarter of a way to 100 episodes, and we are halfway to 50 episodes. And I can guarantee you we will hit those quotas at some point in the future. And hopefully we will be big players in the podcast game by then, baby. 
Also, like I said in the start, thank you for supporting this podcast. I truly do appreciate every little thing you do, whether you like the tweet, whether you retweet the tweet, whether you actually listen, whether you like the Facebook post, whether you subscribe, rate, review on iTunes, anything you do. I totally 100% appreciate that. Hopefully this podcast continues to grow. I can continue to give it to you all. I love doing it. Thank you so much. And as always on Carson's Sack, where we talk balls, as we end it every week, we will be seeing you.